Welcome back to the AGD podcast series. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Wes Blakesley. Sleep and breathing problems in children are unfortunately much more common than most of us realize and much more difficult to diagnose. But the long-term consequences of missing a diagnosis can be severe, both in terms of medical and behavioral problems that follow. So today I am very excited to introduce to you Dr. Diana Batun, a general dentist who founded the Arizona Center for Breathing and Sleep Wellness in Scottsdale. Diana, good morning. It's great to have you with us today. Good morning, Wes. I'm happy to be here. I am very excited about this this interview. And as I mentioned to you earlier, we uh, diagnosed, I believe, a uh, seven-year-old new patient uh, that I believe has sleep apnea and her pediatrician seems to have missed it. And uh, I think we have a lot of great information for all the many members listening listening in. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right to the first question. Uh, as general dentists, how do we go about screening for sleep-related breathing disorders in children? And I'm just going to add that from now on in the interview to save some time, I'm going to refer to that as SRBD just to save some time. So how do we go about screening for these uh, disorders? Well, first of all, as dentists, whether we're general or specialists, we should feel very comfortable in evaluating children for possible sleep-related breathing disorders. Number one, the ADA created a position statement on how important it is for us in the field to identify some issues. But one of the things that um, I think most dentists need to do is just step out of the box. We need to stop thinking the way we've normally thought and examine the child by looking clinically. There are so many signs that a child is not sleeping well at night. So I think it's comfortable to say that in your exam, when they come in your dental chair, when they're coming in for a recare appointment, that we start looking at their anatomy and we start asking questions. And a lot of that can be found on the Chervin questionnaire, which is a pediatric sleep questionnaire that many physicians are familiar with. Okay. Is that on your website? Because I've been on your website quite a bit trying to learn more about this. So um, we are setting up the link for that, but as doctors, they normally can call my office and someone in our office can send them a copy of what we use. And you can actually just put it on your computer. It's a Word document and add your letterhead. And that will give you some credibility as far as, hey, this is, I'm going to ask you some questions that are related to the expertise as a dentist. And it, it should be done probably... Annually, you might have parents that have never filled out a questionnaire like that. Um, a lot of times in the medical field, all they're asking the parents are, does your child snore? And that's related to the BEARS sleeping tool questionnaire that they'll just ask general questions, kind of like the stop bang questionnaire for adults. But the Chervin uh pediatric sleep questionnaire is a little bit more involved. It's a little bit more detailed. And I think that kind of gives us insight either to asking more questions about something that we suspect is happening or answers that can help explain what we see clinically in the mouth. Excellent. Uh, Diana, are there any other forms that we need to generate or implement in our practices to uh, you know, do more work in SRBD? Um, you know, I always ask parents, you know, do you know, have you ever observed your child sleeping? And I'll ask them 
to, an, or actually my front office, it starts with the phone conversation. If you wouldn't mind taping your child sleeping when they're fast dead asleep for about 30 seconds to two minutes. And that's so we can observe um, if they're breathing loud, if they have um, mouth breathing present, if we hear snoring or loud you know, breathing sounds, and what position they're sleeping in. Believe it or not, those types of things that we observe in adults really are relatable to how we observe children. Are they sleeping on their back? Are they sleeping on their side? Are they sleeping on their stomach? There's a lot of people, believe it or not, that sleep on their belly. Um, do they sleep with the covers over their head, completely covering their face? Um, do they sweat at night? Do they take a long time to fall asleep? And are they waking up multiple times during the evening, either due to night terrors, nightmares, sleepwalking, sleep talking, those types of issues? So I think it's important to, that parents, you know, are they aware of how their child sleeps? Because most parents won't know their child has a, a sleeping problem unless they observe that their child stops breathing or they're always sick or they have a medical condition that predisposes them to mouth breathing or sleep issues. For example, children who are diagnosed with Down syndrome, um, people who have or children who are diagnosed with upper respiratory issues like asthma, um, heavy allergies, those types of things. Interesting. Diana, in your opinion, how early should we start screening for SRBD? Um, I believe really early. So in my practice, I have parents that come with their children as early as two. Excellent. Okay. Uh, what type of special... I'll start that again. <laughs> See, I do it too. What type of special training do we need to uh, screen and evaluate for SRBD? What can you recommend for us? You know, that's a very good question. Um, part of what we do in dentistry is um, in, in helping to master uh, a procedure is education. And I'm a strong believer that bringing your team, having the dentists themselves uh, enroll in some type of education is so important when we're dealing with a medical condition. Because sleep apnea is a medical condition. And so when we need to be practicing within our scope of practice, and, you know, let me remind you that only 2%, that's the average, um, that's the percentage that everybody needs to remember, actually um, is 2% that kids have sleep apnea. So it's a low percentage. But the amount of children that are experiencing sleep-related breathing disorders or who are heavy mouth breathers is probably higher than that. And it's common. That's the, that's the thing we have to realize. It is common. And um, tongue tie is a factor that contributes to children that have sleep-related breathing disorders. So with that said, um, the ADA and uh, the AGD and certain organizations like the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine has courses that dentists can take. From the beginning, there are introductory courses, um, and even your state meeting, sleep apnea courses are starting to be more common now. 
So there's a lot of education that's out there. I would recommend things that are university-based, things that are not-for-profit-based, because then what we know when they follow those guidelines is that they're really, they're not selling you anything. They're educating you about the topic. So I think that's important. Everybody should, you know, enroll in one of those courses, whether you're going to treat sleep apnea or not. Um, It's about creating the awareness because the condition is really prevalent among children today. And all knowledge is good knowledge. I agree with you. So uh, kind of speaking to your point, what specific technology should we be looking to, uh, you know, have in our offices to really effectively screen and evaluate SRBD? What what could you recommend uh, for, for folks like me who uh, would want to start out in this? Right. Um, you know, most general dentists probably have a panel machine in their office. And um, I think, believe it or not, for children, because we're looking at subjective symptoms, a clinical exam is really important. Pictures, uh, most general dentists and most dentists in their office have some type of camera, whether it's intraoral or an SLR, high-resolution camera. Those are very important pieces in helping uh, the parent become aware of that, hey, I think something's going on here. Your kid looks tired. Is this is this how they present all the time? Um, and evaluating, say, hey, do they wake up tired during the day? Which when we evaluate for adult sleep apnea, we ask, do you have daytime sleepiness? Same thing applies to children. Are they tired during the day? Are they taking a nap every day? Um, are they struggling with certain topics in school? But recently, I think what's great about technologies, everything is always evolving. And the Combi machine, actually, which we have in our office, has provided some valuable information, especially when I'm talking to a specialist like an ENT or sleep physician. That doesn't mean that you have to jump out tomorrow and buy a CBCT. Some dentists have the ability within their panel machine to extrapolate a lateral ceph. Um, and there's so many manufacturers out there. I would just advise the dentist to research, find out what fits within their budget and what find, find out what fits within their end goal. Are you going to be incorporating sleep apnea evaluation in your practice A lot. Are you going to be doing it for children and adults? And then decide whether it fits for your budget, if the ROI is there, and most importantly, if you can get your team to buy in on a new level of service that you're going to be implementing into your practice. That's a great point. We just actually uh, upgraded our pan to a digital pan that can be upgraded to uh, 3D and uh, or Ceph. So I think it's a great purchase. Uh, it's really kind of, uh, you know, brought us up a notch on the ladder and everyone's pretty excited about it. So I'd recommend that. That's a, that's a great point. Let's swing back to the clinical uh, signs here. What are the uh, so-called hallmark signs that should uh, raise red flags when it comes to uh, children who actually have uh, sleep and breathing issues and disordered breathing? You know, one of the things is um, we know that in the sleep cycle, it's very phasic, that in children, growth hormone is released during um, their sleep cycle. And so when you observe kids who maybe aren't, you know, they're below the percent, the average percentile of their um, height and weight pattern, do they have issues with chewing, um, swallowing? 
do they have recurrent ear infections? They're, they're in the doctor three or four times a year, and they're always struggling with ear infections. Um, the other probably most um, popular thing out there that um, is coming to mind, too, is um, tongue tie or tongue restriction. And finding out when the mother was pregnant with that child, did they have, what kind of delivery was it? Was it a C-section or normal um, vaginal birth? Did, they, did the mother snore during their last trimester when they were pregnant with the child is really important because there is some research out there in the medical field that supports that women who have sleep issues in their third trimester can affect the development of their um, baby, unborn baby. And so, you know, tongue tie, tongue restriction, speech issues. When the child presents to your office, are they not articulating as clear? Are they struggling with certain vowels or consonants? Um, and then also their sleep pattern. Uh, are they sweating a lot during the nighttime? Do they wake up multiple times? And uh, the other thing would be is do they have uh, other upper respiratory conditions? Asthma children, and I'm asthmatic myself, um, are probably more predisposed to be mouth breathers. And believe it or not, a lot of children don't know how to breathe right. And that's why we have multiple disciplines within our practice that create a collaborative team to kind of help evaluate. You'd be amazed. There are so many parents that would do anything for their children. So if you just give them information and you point them into the right direction, then that's going to help them set them up for, you know, proper growth and development. Uh, ENTs are a very important part of my practice and knowing what to say to your ENT and actually as a dentist calling them out on, you know, well, why don't you want to take the adenoids and tonsils? Because here's what I see. This is what the parent's reporting. And that's why I say it's very important for the parent to videotape their child sleeping because a lot of times the ENT might say, no, their adenoid and tonsils are normal. We're going to wait. And the parent shows them a video of their child snoring and the ENT kind of changes their tune and requires either more testing or may require an endoscope down their nasal passageway. There are several different reasons why a video of their child sleeping can provide valuable information. That's a great answer. Very comprehensive. Okay, let's circle back to my patient, my seven-year-old, who I suspect has uh, disordered uh, sleep or disordered breathing. Uh, so I've talked to the parent about it, and uh, she's got the orthodontic issues, and she's tired and having some trouble in school. What's the next step after we do an identification? Uh, what do we do? What do we do next? What do we tell the parent? Well, we tell the parent that, um, number one, we're going to look at the clinical presentation of that child. So one of the terms that I think that dentists need to be familiar with is venous pooling, which means they're like dark circles underneath the eyes where they're either bluish or purple. And finding out, because believe it or not, that's actually a thin part of a skin on our face. So when a child is not getting enough oxygen, you're going to notice that right off the bat. And when we correct their breathing pattern to create a lip seal so their nasal breathing most of the time during the night or all night, you're going to see that venous pulling disappear. Okay. Um, the other thing is, do they have a constricted arch? Is there a cross bite? So we're looking at jaw relationships. 
We're looking at the teeth. We're looking to see if there's evidence of grinding or wear related to bruxism, right? Because when I was in dental school, nobody talked about airway when we're talking about grinding our teeth. But in fact, there's so much research out there not only in the medical field, but in the dental field that supports that bruxism, there's a, you know, bruxism triad that is related to the child's breathing patterns. So most of the time when children are grinding their teeth like crazy on their baby teeth, they're struggling for airway. They're not breathing properly. So is that restriction related to the anatomy of their airway, related to the anatomy of their nasal floor, or is it related to a vaulted palate, which would be contributing to why the nasal passageway isn't working effectively? Um, the other thing is tongue tie. What I was saying, like a lot of times um, dentists or people who do ortho, like orthodontists, they might say, hey, you don't have a, a lot of room in your lower jaw. We probably, you know, need to expand your upper or lower jaw to make room for the tongue. Well, I think way back when people would extract teeth because there was so much crowding in there. And what happens is when we extract permanent teeth, number one, we make the box smaller. And so when the orthodontist is lining and leveling the teeth, then we're collapsing that space. When we pull baby teeth prematurely, and I'm talking about if there's no gross decay, if there's no periodontal involvement, then that arch starts to collapse. And so what we're doing is we're affecting the growth pattern of that maxilla and that mandible. So it's really important. Everybody, most children have room for all their permanent teeth. It's a matter of, is the tongue space enough? It's a matter of, is the tongue able to elevate and shape the maxillary arch? There are so many factors that contribute to this. So looking in the mouth, looking at the jaw relationships, looking at the bite, does this child have a deep overbite, a, you know, a large overjet? What is causing that? Is there a habit such as thumb sucking, um, finger sucking, uh, uh, things like that that may be contribute, contributing to why that child presents that way? The other important thing, Wes, that I forgot to say is bedwetting. Bedwetting is such a common symptom among children who have sleep-related breathing disorders, believe it or not. And we're talking about, you know, I have a lot of parents that say, oh, they don't bedwet, they're wearing pull-ups. Well, that's bedwetting, right? <laughs> um, sure, and so they're, and if they're grade school children, those are the children that maybe are not going to summer camp. They're not spending the night at their friend's house for fear of an accident. Um, you, you know, and that's a sensitive subject. So as a dentist, and you're going to get this, you're going to get parents that are confused, like, why are you asking me those questions? Because it is a sensitive subject. So that Chervin questionnaire can address that in a manner that's not so offensive. And that's why we do that all the time, whether we suspect they have sleep issues or not, we're going to always give that sleep questionnaire on the new patient paperwork for children under the age of, I think we do 15. So many layers to this. It's much more complicated, I think, than the average dentist would really <laughs> believe. But this is why we have podcasts and we present the information. I'm very excited about this. Uh, now, communication with parents is always a challenge. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a parent, so I've been on the other side, too. I've got three, uh, well, now they're three adult children. But uh, 
Uh, are there any uh, special techniques that uh, you can offer us as, as practicing general dentists uh, that can help us communicate with with uh, parents uh, of, of our findings during exams? Well, the most important thing, which is true, whether you're treating adults or children, is active listening, right? You have a parent that is coming to your office that has been through the ENT, that has speech lessons for their child, that has allergy shots on a regular basis, and their child is still struggling. And so when you are gathering that information and listening to them, listening to their frustrations, um, not necessarily saying your child has this, your child has deep overbite, but coming from that the perspective that, you know, your child presents with some of these clinical conditions and the anatomy that actually we can help improve those things. So you're sticking to what you know. When you start, you know, giving your feedback or your opinion about, well, your child's sleeping too late or, you know, why do they have the electronics in their bedroom? You kind of have to leave that behind, and I'm, I'm sharing that with you because I've done that. I've made a mistake. Parents don't really want other people telling them how they should parent their kids. But what you can do is you can offer your advice and your expertise about what their child presents with. And in dentistry, that means maybe they have a crowded arch. Maybe they have a tongue tie. Maybe... The venous pulling on their face suggests that we're not getting the maximum amount of oxygen every night. So here are my recommendations. Let's, you know, figure this out. Um, in the state of Arizona, we can screen for sleep apnea by administering um, some screening tools. And one of them that we use in our office is a cardiac pulmonary coupling unit or a high pulse oximetry unit. And those are very valid for me in the state of Arizona. Now, I would encourage dentists to figure out and know what their state laws are so that you're not practicing outside your scope of dentistry. And I think once you figure out what your state laws are, then figure out a workflow. And that's probably going to include technology, whether you ask the parent to tape it at home with their iPhone or videotape, sorry, um, or uh, take pictures, but using a camera in the dental office, those are all tools that kind of help, you know, it's like a puzzle. You're putting those things together. So um, the most important thing I could say is listening to the parent and having your front office ask those key important questions so that when they come in for the exam, the dentist, you're utilizing your time more efficiently, right? Um, finding out, do they have dental insurance that may cover interceptive ortho procedures? Because maybe you want to expand that palette. So knowing that offhand, you'll be prepared to, you know, relay information to the parent right at that first visit. Right. I just want to jump back uh, to uh, another clinical question because my brain's going like a mile a minute here. Uh, I would just <laughs> like to review with you. No, there's a lot here, and it's fascinating. Uh, I just want to review uh, some of the records we should be taking when evaluating children for uh, for SRBD. I know we talked about a possible PAN or even on a, a higher level, a CBCT, but just basic records. So if you could just, uh, just do a quick review of that for us. Uh, I would say a panel for general dentists, if they have the capacity to do a lateral theft, 
that is really important. The other thing is all my patients who have sleep-related breathing disorder issues, we have an orthodontic plan. And whether that involves that that's not your comfort level and you're going to refer to an orthodontist, then do that. But remember, you should work with an orthodontist that shares your vision, that is airway focused. And there are many out there. Um, and if your orthodontist knows nothing about that, then there are several courses out there where um, one of them I just got back from where the orthodontist can bring some of their restorative general practitioners with them. I think that is really key because this is where the success begins is having a collaborative team right? So those records, the orthodontist will do more involved records. Um, if it's something that you're going to keep in your office, diagnostic models are always good. Measurements such as overbite, overjet, um, pictures. So if you were to, if you're a general dentist, to use like kind of an orthodontic template, same type of template that you would use if you're doing clear aligner therapy, where you're looking at the headshot, you're looking at the profile, you're looking at the occlusal views of the maxillary and mandibular arch. When we take um, maximum intercuspation pictures, you know, looking with their teeth biting down, looking at it from the side view, because that's going to give us information to what the child presents. Now, with that said, not every two-year-old, not every four-year-old, you're not going to take models on there. But you can easily take your intraoral camera, have them say cheese, take a picture. You um, And just knowing that you just want some information. Because if you were to refer that to an ENT, the ENT would really appreciate some pictures sent over or the lateral ceph, you know, you might want to confirm for them that on your lateral ceph, the adenoids look large. Could we please evaluate for that? Or the intro picture that you took of the tonsils, and every general dentist should be familiar with um, the Malum Patti score, where you're evaluating whether the tonsils are big or large and what grade, that you're sending that information over um, to the ENT, and usually I send a letter that will list those things. And most specialists nowadays, they have capability for email. So easily shooting that over by email or fax would help the parent. If you want to print it in your office and give it to the parent, that's fine. But giving that key information will kind of help the specialist know, you know, hey, I need to look at this a little bit more closely. Because believe it or not, they see so many kids a day and you don't want them to miss something that you caught upon your clinical exam. Does that help? Did wow. I answer your Does question? <laughs> I'll give you an A plus plus. You know, that's fantastic. I just looked at the clock and I have it, which I usually do when I record just to make sure I'm on time. And I, uh -huh. We're out of time, actually. I could go another half an hour, but uh, I want to thank you so much for, and I know how busy you are because I, I know your schedule, and we've been trying <laughs> to schedule this interview since we met in California last June. But I really appreciate the time that you spent with us today and the information that you shared. It was just a superb dialogue, and I think everyone listening in is going to take a lot of things back to the office uh, the next day. So on behalf of the AGD, thank you. I know you teach, as I just mentioned. How can we reach you to have you, uh, uh, you know, do a conference for us, uh, speak at our state dental meetings, and et cetera, et cetera? I'm happy to help Wes, as always. I'm just about creating that awareness because I really believe that dentist plays an important role 
in helping these children. So uh, my email is azsleepwellness at gmail.com. And my office number is 480-776-0643. And I am always open to helping um, any dentist that may have questions and also to support the AGD as well. I appreciate that. Dana, many thanks. That was great. Oh, thank you.